We give glory and honor to God for granting us this opportunity to share with you this as Adventist Radio, the voice of hope. Welcome, my dear listener, to this promising session of the New Life Program. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mangi. Maureen Komboko is on standby with the Family Life segment. Today, she will talk about family picking orders. Sister Becky Arunga will also join us during the Bible segment to talk about the Blessed Hope. Victory Church Choir will start us off with the song, Kusanyiko. Enjoy. This is Adventist Hall Radio, the voice of hope. Let us now give way to Maureen Komboka to talk about family packing order. Be blessed. Hello, dear listener. Welcome to today's Family Life program. In celebrating our differences, today we are going to talk about the family packing order. I am Maureen Komboka. Two small boys walked into the dentist's office. The older boy spoke bravely. I want a tooth taken out and I don't want any gas. And I don't want it dented because we are in a hurry. You're a brave young man, beamed the dentist. Which tooth is it? Turning to his younger brother, the boy replied, Show him your tooth, Albert. While the exact percentage of home influence upon behavior pattern is open for debate, most would agree that it does play an important role in establishing values and social skills. It may even be an important factor in creating dysfunctional behavior patterns at a very early age. Therefore, a review of the family pecking order can be helpful as we attempt to understand our differences. The firstborn is referred to as the leader because they are often perfectionists, conscious, list-making, well-organized, goal-oriented, self-sacrificing, and reliable. New parents expect a great deal from their first child as well as from themselves. Since everything is for the first time, 
it becomes terribly important. The baby shower, nursery wallpaper, child's clothes, name selection, and even the establishment of a college fund are all important events for the new parents. Encyclopedia sells person find these new parents easy prey and often sell them an encyclopedia set that will be outdated before junior learns to read. Even grandparents get caught up in the momentous occasion and tend to overdo for the firstborn. Consequently, this new branch on the family tree becomes the leader and standard bearer for the family. Research indicates that firstborns walk and talk earlier than their siblings, and is it any wonder with every elder in the family hanging on the firstborns every go? Perhaps firstborns learn to walk earlier in order to put distance between themselves and the constant elder prodding. Since firstborns have only adults as role models, it seems logical that they pick up adult behavior. With no other siblings to challenge their authority, firstborns assume that control is their God-given right. A confident firstborn joined the other children at the front of the church for the children's story. The pastor announced that he was going to tell a story about frogs. Easing his way into the presentation, the pastor inquired, When I say the word frog, what is the thing that comes to your mind? God, exclaimed the firstborn excitedly. Why do you think about God when I say frog? Inquired the surprised pastor with obvious puzzlement. Because I know you don't bring us down here to talk about frogs, the firstborn replied confidently. Firstborn develop confidence at early age. As a result, these confident children are often called upon to be babysitter and even surrogate parent for their younger siblings. It is almost as if they never have an opportunity to build children themselves. Perhaps that explains why 52% of all U.S. presidents and even larger percentage of corporate executives are firstborns. They develop their leadership skill early in life. Middle children are born into a dilemma. Just about the time they get used to being the youngest child, someone else takes over the coveted position. Middle children are born too late to get all the privilege and special attention offered firstborns. And they are born too soon to enjoy the relaxed discipline afforded last born. Middle children often exhibit the branching off effect. If the older sibling is more intelligent in a certain area, middle children will branch off in a different direction. If middle children are one of many children, they look to the direction already pursued by those older but usually take a different route. While all siblings play off the first one, they also must be concerned about all others who are older in the family. This can have a dramatic effect on how they portray their natural temperaments. If their temperament blends conflict with a role already taken, they may choose to suppress their natural inclinations so that they can be different. Typical family photo albums have three times as many pictures of the first or last one as those of middle children. One 13-year-old middle child had just fallen into puppy love with the boy next door. She went to the family album to find a picture and eventually yelled at her mother in frustration. Aren't there any pictures of me without her? Because little children learn to negotiate and compromise at an early age, they often grow up to be well-adjusted adults. However, their penchant for peace may actually condition them toward condependency. Even though they may need professional help as an adult, they will seldom seek it when needed. Whereas firstborns demand help and lastborns expect to be cared for, middle children develop a spirit of independence and mental toughness that does not allow them to accept assistance except from their friends. Even though being a middle child is a relatively safe position, it is often unfair. 
Therefore, middle children tend to view life through reality lenses rather than fantasy glasses. Unlike first and last bonds, who often have a distorted view of life, middle children accept little from life and thus are seldom disappointed. Balance is a key element in the lives of middle children. Middle children often develop good listening and negotiating skills because of their position in the family. Experienced negotiators make the best managers and middle children often find themselves in middle management as an adult. It is difficult to argue with the outgoing, charming, manipulative, affectionate last ones. They are usually clones or attention getters and according to the other siblings, spoiled rotten. The family curse on Lastborn is to be viewed as the smallest and the weakest forever. Often, you will see a 5 foot 6 inch firstborn introduce a 6 foot 5 inch Lastborn as my little brother. This often prompts Lastborn to go through life constantly looking for praise and encouragement. Of all the siblings' position, Lastborns are the most likely to be people persons. Studies indicate that the babies of the family tend to gravitate toward people-oriented jobs. One author tells about a used car salesman, a lastborn, who was so bubbly and friendly that without even trying, he often sold the most cars each month. However, the manager, a firstborn, was constantly harassing him about him getting his paperwork done. Finally, a psychologist told the manager to hire a secretary to do the paperwork for his top salesman and let him do what he did best relate to people. A subsequent survey of the used car Lot revealed that all the salesmen were lastborns, trying to work for workaholic firstborn who was making their life miserable by his constant demand for paperwork. The independent cocaines displayed by lastborns is often an attempt to cover up inner confusion. Impatient and brash, lastborns rush in where angels fear to tread. They seldom consider consequences before they take action. Parents should help lastborns to accept responsibility and develop maturity. It is best to install in them the habit of picking up after themselves. It is likely that by now, after having dealt with three or four children, parents may find it easier to make the bed and pick up the room after last month rather than endure the hassle. Actually, parents do them a great disservice when they perform these functions for their last ones. While it may be extremely difficult, parents should avoid placing their last one in the spotlight more than they do other children. In addition, parents must refuse to cling to their last one as their last gasp of parenting. It is far better to foster in the last one an independent spirit that is appropriate for honoring their natural people's skill. It is important to remember that we are all unique. No matter what our birth order or temperament, our personalities are a combination of many factors, inherited temperament characteristics, birth order, culture, friends, and parental style, to name a few. Interestingly enough, it is often when studying our similarities that we discover our uniqueness. Perhaps you can identify with a young mother's reaction to a child's abilities or apparent lack of them. At a school track meeting, the participants were in the final lap of a boy's one-mile run. The park was bunched together except for two runners, who were leading by a few yards. As the runners ran the last corner, the crowd was cheering wildly. In the midst of all the excitement, it was easy to overlook a short, chubby kid who was running hopelessly last. He probably had difficult walking a mile, much less running one. Nevertheless, there he was, pushing toward the finish line. 
His contorted red face revealed the supreme effort he was putting forth. It appeared that his entire body might explode at any moment. Suddenly, a frantic woman pressed through the noisy crowd, jumped up on the railing and screamed, Johnny, run faster, run faster! A shrill voice carried above the din of the noisy crowd. Obviously, she was the boy's mother. A hopeless look spread across Johnny's face after he heard his mother shrieking at him. You could read the silent reply in his countenance. Run faster, run faster. If I could run any faster, do you think I'll be dead last? Just what do you think is my problem, mom? Do you think I forgot how to run? I'm running as fast as I can. As we attempt to understand our children and each other, it is important to show appreciation for our best effort rather than making impossible comparisons. Thank you for listening. I've been Maureen Komuka. We appreciate those who have given us the thoughts concerning this program. We are here just for you. For those who have never communicated to us, you can start today by writing to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276-00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Our email address is awrnairobi at ak.adventist.org. Here's a song, Rainbow of Love, by Victory Church Choir. I hope that you've been looking forward to the Bible segment. Join me as I welcome Sister Becky Arunga. What a privilege is ours to be in God's presence that we may study and behold His beauty as recorded in His Word. His word is a sure testimony to lighten our paths and to give us counsel regarding our duty and our activity as mankind, even as we wait in joyful hope for the blessed hope that of Jesus Christ coming in glory. I am your servant in the Lord, Becky Arunga, and I delight to invite you that we may share a prayer moving forward. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It is with joy that we have come in your presence to worship and to listen to your wise counsels, Lord. I pray that you may find an abiding place in our heart, that everything that we seek to do daily may give glory and honor to your name. Now give your servant utterance. With the stamp of heaven, may your word proceed forth, that it may minister to the need of your people. This is our prayer, believing and trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, God has invited us 
that we may understand his word through the lens of his apostle Paul. Because we know that the message of the cross is given unto us at such a time as this, that we may know Christ Jesus crucified and know that which he has for us at such a time as this in these last days. I endeavor that we may study from the book of Second Corinthians, for it is my desire that we may know exactly what God has for us this day. We read from the book of First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Essentially, we desire to know what we ought to do at a time when we feel that we are suffering. I want us to understand God's concept of suffering. I want you and I, my dear listener, to know that when we go through sufferings and persecution, God is using that opportunity to perfect our character and to make us know exactly that which he desires of us. Now, this Bible recorded by Paul in the letter to the people of Corinthians, he records in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Let us just talk a little bit about that opening statement. Paul is pronouncing a blessing on God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the Father of mercies and all comfort. Now, in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible records that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. To mean that at every point that we wake up, as long as we still subsist, it is because of the mercies of God. It is because of the love of God. It is because God has seen it fit that we as a people may take part of his blessings. Yet again, Paul says, and God of all comfort. Indeed, it is something to wonder and marvel about, that God is the source of all comfort, and yet at times we find ourselves in discomfort as a result of pain and suffering. God still stands to be the God of all comfort. How be it that is the God of all comfort? This is the reason why. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What a profound statement. That in the first instance, God of all comfort comforts us in our tribulation. I do not know the tribulation that you have been having. You may have been having a moment of spiritual tribulation. You are persecuted or rather you have a heavy weight of sin upon your shoulders and the Lord comforted you. And the Lord assured you of his grace. And the Lord assured you of his divine presence with you. And so God of all comfort comforts us in our tribulation. The comfort of God is not for us to take lightly. But he comforts us that we in turn may be able to comfort other people who are in any trouble. Underline the word any. Meaning God has no hierarchy of troubles. Any trouble that we go through, 
His heart is touched with our grief. And he brings his Holy Spirit and his angels who are ministering spirits to comfort us. And in turn, he wants us to comfort our fellow mankind that are going through different tribulations, that are going different sufferings, that we may speak a word in season, a word of comfort. Though the tempest and the billows are raging, our God is a help in time of trouble. Sure enough, that's why Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The rushes run to it and they are safe. For we know that in moment of tribulations, we can have and stand assured in the comfort of God. He says that, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Indeed, we know that Jesus Christ suffered once for us all. Christ paid it all. That whenever our strength is small, whenever we feel weak and afraid, whenever you feel like you have nothing else to cling on, you are reminded of the love of Christ. Jesus himself, who suffered, Christ himself, who has gone ahead of us. In his suffering, we have this consolation. In his suffering, we have this consolation that even as he died and rose again, we too are able to die in him, rise in him, and when he comes in glory, he shall take us home. Now, beloved, verse 6 says, Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. I would like us to appreciate the concept that even in our sufferings, God is present. When we are going through tough situations, let us remember Job. In his suffering, God was magnified. In his suffering, he was vindicated. For he was not suffering on account of his sin, but he was suffering because he chose to follow God. He was suffering because he had decided to stand firm for God. Beloved, in this battle of the great controversy, at each particular instant, we are in a warfare. The devil desires to have us, but God is keen on having us in his kingdom. Jesus has defeated the devil. But the decision of either choosing Jesus or the devil still rests with us. If we fail to choose one, we've automatically chosen the other. And so Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and is speaking to us too in these last days. That whatsoever suffering we go through, whatsoever tribulation that may abound, have you been forsaken by your family? Are you weary at your place of business? Are you in need of a child? Have you lost your spouse or you are in need of one? God understands your suffering. And he knows that once you have been tested and taken through the fire, you have a consolation in Christ Jesus that he shall not allow any temptation to befall you beyond your capabilities. And so verse 7, Paul finishes by saying, And our hope for you is steadfast. Because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, you also will partake of the consolation. Indeed, it is a blessing. God has not only said that we shall suffer, but he has said that as often as we go through the suffering, 
or as long as we have gone through the suffering, He is able to give us consolation at the end of the road. What a beautiful promise, beloved. What a beautiful promise for us all, that we may rest assured, knowing that our God is a God of all comfort. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Tell it to Jesus, for he is a God of all comfort. Have you lost that which you hold dear to your heart? Are you caught between two options? Tell it to Jesus, for he is able to guide you. Our God knows no confusion. There is this hope that we have, a hope that is steadfast and sure, a hope that is anchored firm and deep in the Savior's love. And so it matters not what you have been going through. Jesus is saying, be comforted, for in your suffering there is this hope you shall receive the consolation of Christ. And why is this important? In these last days that we are living in, it is the last stretch, the last history of this world. And suffering is going to come in various forms. As recorded in Revelation, the seven last plagues will be poured. The battle shall be fought of Armageddon in our minds. And we shall have a lot of things to make, a lot of decisions to make. But it takes faithfulness and steadfastness till the end for us to receive that consolation. How I pray that you may be comforted in your affliction, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, you are the comfort of the afflicted. We run and fly to your protection that you may help us, Lord. I pray for my dear listener who is in need of comfort at this time, who is in need of your grace, Lord, that we may meet him at his point of need and fulfill the desires of his heart. Now to you, only wise God, be glory now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much for finding time that we may learn about comfort in suffering. May the Lord keep you safe and give you the grace to trust him more. Till next time, be blessed. It has been nice having your company. In case you have any views, comments, or questions about the show, please write to the producer, Adventist All Radio, P.O. Box 42276-00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Or email us through awrnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Until next time, I've been your presenter, Samuel Mang.
Tu es mon bon, 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 tu es